of the Lord from Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Father God, we come before your word this morning. and Let us hear from you. Speak life into us through the power of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God speaking audibly to humanity is not the norm, the the burning bush kind of moment, the this is my son in whom I'm well pleased kind of moment is not the norm. Not even really the norm in scripture itself, which this book of Ruth helps show us. Never in this book will God be audibly heard, and yet God is heard throughout the book. He sends people, and in the the loving acts of the individuals in the book, God speaks clearly. And so this means, what God will never say to Naomi, for instance, He'll never take her aside and say, I know you've lost your husband. I know you've lost your two biological children. I know you've lost your financial security. I know you've been forced into new, two dramatic moves. I know that in one sense you are uh, a situation like Job, if not worse. I love you. Well, he will never boom out and say that in the narrative through audible spoken voice, through through uh, breaking into sound, still the overall pattern of this book, will loudly declare that God through His providence, through how He has arranged things, through how He has ordered things, that He is a sower in season and out of season of love and, in, and allowing events in order to, uh, that will mature and develop into something beautiful. You know, the final decision to go into the book of Ruth was made two weeks ago on Sunday. Um, and, uh, but because I'm a person who's unashamed to hold to the providence of God, uh, it is impossible not to see why God put us in this text today. We have Rita here visiting us from Life Turning Point Ministries. A mission work in order to help women who are enduring and experiencing similar struggles and struggles of the same vein as the struggles of Naomi and Ruth. I don't think that's a random coincidence that we will soon hear after worship an opportunity to help bless these women at risk. If you don't believe in providence, however, you're just left to decide this is dumb luck. I also don't think it's coincidence that as our text has shifted and these women now find themselves within the covenant community of God, that we had an infant baptism this week. Because outwardly, what has Nadia done? What outwardly, outwardly, what can Nadia do to be a part of the covenant community, to be recognized as a member of the church community? She can't do anything. And yet part of what baptism is declaring, especially when it comes to the children of believers, is that God has brought Nadia into the covenant community. God has brought Nadia to a Bethlehem kind of community. And does that mean that we know all of Nadia's providential story? No, of course not. But even in our passage today, Boaz and Naomi will make statements that, that make it clear that while not that that they will say that not all of Bethlehem basically is Bethlehem. Not all of Bethlehem is safe. 
Not all of Bethlehem is really moved and shaped by the word of God. And yet God has brought Nadia here and Nadia into a family that is shaped by the word of God, is shaped by the gospel of God. And he's brought Life Turning Point Ministries here today. And I believe it's because in both of them has found opportunities to, in one sense, live out a little bit of what this passage will tell us. There was a pastor named John Ryland who lived from uh, 1735 to 1825. So he came a couple decades after Old Gosh and Hoppe was founded. I lo- the historian in me loves that. I can talk about somebody who was born in the 1700s ago. Yeah, the foundation we stand on right now is older. Um, but he wrote this poem about providence. If you, if you just kind of hear that word and don't know what it means. Sovereign ruler of the skies, ever gracious, ever wise, all my times are in thy hand, all events at thy command. His decree who formed the earth fixed my first and second birth. Parents, native place and time, all appointed were by him. He that formed me in the womb, he shall guide me to the tomb. All my time shall ever be ordered by his wise decree. Times of sickness, times of health, times of penury and times of wealth. Times of trial and times of grief, grief, times of triumph and relief, times the tempter's power to prove, times to taste the Savior's love. All must come and last and end, as shall please my heavenly friend. Plagues and death around me fly, till he bids I cannot die. Not a single shaft can hit. Till the God of love sees fit. Christian, this book of Ruth, while it makes clear God will not necessarily come and speak to us through the foliage around our homes, He speaks to us all throughout the patterns of our life, all throughout the blessings of our life. And the larger message is if you have faith to hear it, is that God loves you. God loves you, he really does love you, and he will make a way to take care for you, as we will continue to see in this wonderful book of scripture. As we ended last week in Ruth chapter 1, we had two women who went through a series of the worst kinds of events that could befall them. Naomi, whose name means pleasant, ended up wanting to be called Mara at the end, which means bitter. She's nothing short of a female Job-like story. And how did Naomi go from pleasant to bitter? Well, her son, I mean, her husband decided in a time of famine, in a time of struggle, to no longer struggle with God, to leave the presence of God, and to go to Moab. Go to the ungodly place of Moab. And he died in Moab. He died in that wicked place founded upon the wickedness of Lot's daughters. And then... And the reality is, we simple sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we are not all that much more clever than Elimelech. There is a remarkably simple pattern that can be found foolishly within the ranks of our life. The pattern is this, when life gets hard, when we get upset with God, that life is hard. Rather than struggle with Him in that famine, we often decide, you know, 
life would be better with less faithfulness towards God. I wonder what's going on in Moab. I wonder what's going on there to cheer me up. And while Moab might seem like freedom for a short period of time, Moab can never offer us what the God of Bethlehem offers. Alleviating suffering in the ways the world prescribes never ends up being the great pain reliever it looks like. 60% of Americans today say that right now is the hardest time of struggle within their entire lives. They are exhausted and tired in a way that they have never been tired and exhausted before. And how is Moab doing when it comes to fixing that problem? What are Moab's approval ratings at the moment? And so after a series of bad decisions by Naomi, she becomes a a widow in a foreign land. And after some time passed, she becomes a woman without any biological children in in a foreign land because her sons passed away. And even though her sons have been married to Moabites for quite some time, Neither marriage was blessed with the fruit of children. And so it seems in the, by the end of chapter 1 of Ruth, Naomi's story will die with her as a cautionary tale. All hope seems lost for her. She is penniless. She is childless. She is an impoverished widow on the wrong side of her birthing years. But she does hear a hopeful word that Bethlehem has grain, that that city named after the house of bread has bread for her. And so she decides in a moment in chapter 1 to return to that covenant community. But then we also looked at Ruth, a Moabite Ruth. And Naomi pleads with Ruth not to go with her. Because she saw no future for Ruth in Bethlehem. And really a large part of the tension of chapter 1 is Naomi can't see Ruth's life getting better if she follows Naomi to Bethlehem. And for good reason, good reason. Ruth is a Moabite. And it's borderline. It really is borderline. It's debatable like baptism can be debatable. Can you marry a Moabite woman at all under the the Mosaic law? If permissible, it's permissible really on a technicality than in principle. So Naomi looks at the situation Ruth finds herself in and basically believes if Ruth goes with me, she'll have no hope of a future. She'll become like I now feel. She'll become a bitter woman whose best days are in her rearview mirror. Then as we covered last week, Ruth makes one of the most beautiful vows in all of Scripture. When she states, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where I go, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And so our chapter ended with two widows descending on Bethlehem, the object of small town gossip, one embittered and one a Moabite, both becoming objects of ridicule. And that there, yet there is hope to close that chapter because the grain harvest, the first harvest of the year, has begun to yield its fruit. And so will the God of Bethlehem maybe bless them. And so chapter 2 opens up with the author and introducing us to a relative of Naomi's husband, Boaz. And unlike Naomi's former husband, Boaz is someone God calls worthy. For the ancient reader, they would have understood relatives were basically your life insurance policy holders. There was no Jake from State Farm in the ancient world. Uh, When 
you were lost your family, your relatives were somebody who was supposed to come alongside you and to help you. And so that would have been the hope of Naomi and walking to Bethlehem. And yet there's this strange thing that happens in verse 2. It's Ruth who says to Naomi, let me go to your relative Boaz's field and glean from among the ears of, of grain. To which Naomi says, go my daughter, but there's an odd thing here. Because who wants to go out to glean? Ruth the Moabite. Who technically has the right to go to Boaz and collect on the life insurance policy? Naomi the Israelite. She's the relative. Both of these women are destitute. Both of them are starving. But Naomi, maybe it was the, 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 how the town received her at the beginning, criticizing her appearance in one sense, remarking about it all. But she's basically surrendered herself at this point to despair. As she kind of will reveal later in the text, she feels spiritually dead at this moment. She's at the end of herself. And it seems like Ruth is aware of it because it's Ruth who takes the initiative to go into Naomi's relative's land to try to secure food from them, from them both. So will Ruth the Moabite be welcomed into the covenant community of Bethlehem to glean so that she and Naomi don't start to death? Now let me explain the biblical idea of um, gleaning. I cut my own hair. So that means about an inch and a half on the top with buzz clips and about half an inch on the sides. And of course, after the first pass through, have I cut all the hair? Or they're stragglers. Now there's famine on top of this head. It continues to starve to death, so there's less hair to cut. But they're stragglers. And so the biblical idea of gleaning was you always went through a field and you made one cut. And anything that was left behind, any stragglers, you know, those, that, that back area, the, the edges and such that's so hard to cut, you leave those for others. And so that's the idea of glean. It was very hard work. The cover of your bulletin shows a harvested field. And what you're doing is you're trying to find the couple granules, the couple pieces of grain that might still be standing that you can eat. And so that is a little bit like the biblical idea of gleaning. So, so they would come in, the gleaners would come in after the men have cut down and the, kind of the farmhands, the women and children following the men, had kind of bundled up and picked up the grain behind them. Whatever they missed, the gleaners got. And if you were biblically faithful, you were not allowed to go through a second time. One pass is all you get. And what you couldn't carry, what you failed to pick up, what the blade did not strike down at first, it remains open for the gleaners, for the destitute, those who did not have a harvest to rely upon. Now, it was hard work to glean. Because, again, you're looking for those few strands of hair, metaphorically speaking. And it was not uncommon for the gleaner to barely be able to feed themselves after a full day's work. And so this is the technical biblical law of gleaning. It barely gave people enough, but it was important in preventing starvation throughout the country in the Holy Land. By the sweat of their own brow, people could make it. People could avoid starving to death. 
And the Moabite girl would have heard something about this biblical idea from Naomi. And so now Ruth now ventures out towards Boaz in order to glean. And Boaz arrives extending his blessing to every one of his workers, basically his field crews. And then he looks at his group of field hands and immediately, just like the old Sesame Street song tells us, one of these things is not like the others. And so Boaz rightly asks, who is that? Because Ruth really isn't where she should be. She should kind of be standing off at this point. She should stay back and only come into the field after Boaz's laborers had their first crack at the harvest. But Ruth is setting up to gather in lockstep with the reapers outside the customary standards and practices. And if you don't think people were muttering and whispering about her doing so, You're not being honest enough about the sinful habits we have as individuals when it comes to gossip and not accepting people. I mean, we have all sorts of addiction kinds of counseling in this world, and yet I've never found a a counseling group for gossip. Maybe there is, I don't know, but it is of pandemic proportions in church communities, and it destroys church communities. And yet, Ruth is a gutsy risk taker, still standing. Gossip won't stop her. Ruth doesn't concern herself with the labels others put on her. She has a mission to love her heartbroken mother-in-law, to help provide for Naomi in her hour of need. She knows the walls of sorrow and sadness that can come crushing in in such a matter, because in part, Ruth has already been made to endure these same walls in her own story. And yet Ruth's boldness means she is still going to make sure Naomi has Ruth by her side, fighting for a more hopeful tomorrow. Yes, at one time within our narrative, Naomi had a ray of hope, as we saw in chapter 1, a longing to return to Bethlehem for a better harvest in the midst of God's covenant community once more in her hour of need. But she was greeted with mocking to close out chapter 1 and and remarking that she does not look like Naomi anymore, a cold reception, and it seems to have broken Naomi's spirit in her return to Bethlehem. How much damage our careless words can cause. To the point where Naomi doesn't want to get up anymore. But Ruth stands for her in Boaz's field. She stands out of place and yet unashamed for where she is. Because the purpose of her work is to bless her friend. To give her friend Naomi the daily bread she needs. What Ruth is doing is bearing the cost of love at this moment. Naomi can't carry the enmity of all the pain and sorrow, so Ruth is coming alongside her to help. help. And Christian, God gives us all ministries, and he also gives us all seasons of sorrow as well. God providentially ordains moments where we are made to feel like Naomi, where we throw up our hands to God and say, what's the point? Why go on? Do you even care? Am I just talking to the walls here? God also gives us all moments and seasons of opportunity where we have courage to stop looking so inward, but to begin looking outward for an outward opportunity to love someone boldly. God might just use it. He might just use it to weave together a better story of redemption. Remember, as we said last week, God will use the bond between these two women to do nothing short than change the entire fate of the world. The entire course of human history. 
What or whose stories might God want you to be a part of and help redeeming? What are your opportunities, Christian? Where might a well-placed act of love possibly have ripple effects that extend past the course of this lifetime? Opportunities abound, too many for any one person to handle. Even the role of diaconate within a church was created because the apostles quickly found themselves unable to meet all the needs of those whom they were teaching. And so they called upon the church to become the arms of mercy ministry. We are called by God into a covenant community, into a church family, into living alongside of one another, being encouragement for one another. And God can use us in his providence to sow seeds of redemption and sorrow. We often hear these vows at weddings to have and to hold, for better and for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer and for poorer, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. But these are not just vows for a wedding day, but these ideals... The ideals of such vows, Ruth has already demonstrated in the previous chapter, can be held within the covenant community, within a congregation united as the faithful, in our being wedded to one another, battling to love one another in a world that experiences times of famine. So Ruth boldly asked Boaz in verse 7, please let me glean. And Boaz blesses her boldness. Yet there's something unique to this blessing of Boaz as we see throughout the blessing. In verse 12, for instance, it is mentioned, we see the Hebrew, the word wing there is the Hebrew word kanap. Boaz credits the blessing he will provide for Ruth, not ultimately a blessing from him, but a blessing from God, a protection from God. Boaz understands that the protection he is providing Ruth is only possible because of the unrelenting kindness God has for his people, of which Boaz is willing to appreciate and honor the fact that this Moabite woman Ruth now is a part of. God so anticipates our hour of need that just like the sparrow, he will provide for us what we need for the moments and barriers that we often worry about and look overwhelming at first. Boaz knows God's providential hand in securing daily bread and acknowledges it. Also, Boaz promises her if she stays in his field, the field that God watches over, he will bless her and he will protect her because the God of Bethlehem offers such protection to the faithful. Now notice, both Boaz and ultimately, because this is God's word, God knows that there are dangerous fields out there in the world. Things to stay away from. And they're not just found in the fields of Moab, but even in Bethlehem. Bethlehem has pockets of danger Ruth needs to be warned about by Boaz. Those who do not actually seek after righteousness. Often in our modern day, people think Christian morality is an ugly thing. It's very popular to criticize it in the marketplace of ideas for it to become something that is reviled and hated. And more and more, those places who hate Christian morality are also found masquerading themselves as churches, as places pretending to follow the words of the God of Bethlehem. There are fields pretending to be fields of the Lord that are dangerous for us. Fields that do not follow His Word and do not pattern their life after it. I just had a... This week, the Mooney cult called the office. 
when, when Bruce was there. And they're trying to convince me to join their Mooney cult and, and bring the church along with them. To follow them in their false truth. But grace reigns in Boaz's field because they follow God's loving commands. And the glorious God of grace whose wings of kindness help cover that field is known there. He is known there. And this, in this field is found the opportunity for new life. For those who have the courage to seek it, even if you're from Moab. And so Boaz allows Ruth to be counted amongst those whom he safeguards. And he gives her access to his cups and the water that his young men will bring for her from the sweat of their own brow. And he allows her to stay close to the Israeli women he protects. And she realizes the gift of grace Boaz is lavishing upon her is more than anything she ever expected. She has never known a kindness like this. And so she falls down on her face, asking him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? I'm from Moab. And the reason why Boaz has been so good to her, he states, nearly echoes what Jesus tells us in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. When our Lord our God said, Truly I tell you, whatever you did, For one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Understand, God never separates our love for Him from the love we have for His people. Let me repeat that. God never separates the love we have for Him from the love we have for His people. Likewise, Boaz, a servant of God, does not separate the love Ruth has for Naomi from also being an extension of loving him and his broader family. The landowner Boaz knows to bless those who are a blessing in his field for his family because his field ultimately is God's gracious field. And then at verse 14, we see the meal, a meal take place. And at this point, Boaz's generosity for this girl continues to swell up and grow. He shares a meal of bread and wine. For the Jew, they would have looked back to Melchizedek and to Abraham and the meal they share in Genesis. For the Christian, we might be tempted to look forward to the meal of bread and wine in the upper room that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night he would be betrayed. And she was invited next to him and she had an audience with him and she sat with him and she shared the spoils of his bread, his wine and his grain. And she enjoyed so much that this starving woman even had leftovers. And after this meal, they rise back up again in order to work once more in the harvest, and Boaz decides to give her more. He gives her permission to glean in the unharvested portions of the land, the uncut strands of hair. The place is not yet cut, and he even then decides to just let her take the bushels that have already been cut down, a few bundles already gathered together. And by the letter of the law, Boaz didn't have to do any of it. He was never required to give so generously. And yet Boaz understands the greater spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is this. If someone truly comes to Bethlehem in need, desiring the peace and security of the fields which God protects, then bless those in need. This was a woman who left her past life in Moab. She left her former ways 
And the spirit of the law says that such a person who comes to Bethlehem where God has dwelled, such a person should be treated just like any other. And while it will cost Boaz, while it will require more from him than he is obligated to give, Boaz knows the real landowner of Bethlehem, and it isn't him. And so Ruth returns with more food than Naomi could ever imagine or dream of. First, with plenty of leftovers, food ready to eat for the starving Naomi, for the famished Naomi. But on top of that, Ruth brings home roughly 30 pounds of grain. That amount of grain would have cost a month and a half's worth of wages to the regular ancient. The generosity of the God of Ruth towards uh, Naomi brings Naomi back to life, spiritually speaking. And she, like Boaz, knows to credit the generosity of the field owner in Bethlehem, not just to Boaz, but to make clear Boaz's kindness is clearly connected to the Hesed Hebrew love of God. And that word Hesed is a unique word. It's translated usually kindness in Scripture, but it's really more than that. Uh, The idea of it is the sheer power, the sheer power behind it. It's a sheer powerful kindness. It's almost like an atomic kind of explosive kind of reality, uh, sort of like uh, uh, the word dynamis in the New Testament. It is a powerful, powerful kind of love. And she knows to credit the kindness and the love that has been showered upon them to the powerful providence of God. Because while Naomi failed to see it at first, she understands God works in ways that while we might fail to see it, can still be found in the works of others. That's Hesed. That's kindness. And so Naomi began our passage today feeling lifeless and dead, and yet God revived her through the raw power and kindness of his generosity expressed through her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. The power of God blesses those in weakness. He ordains for people, uh, he ordains for people a pattern to meet their most basic needs. We'll soon even go downstairs and we will partake in food and we'll have in one sense a feast with one another. And God has watched every grain, every molecule, every morsel be prepared, grow in the field, be harvested for our sake. And he ordained for it to come to us. To be a blessing unto that. But even greater than that is God's power. As Naomi declares it in our final verse, verse 20. Notice it extends both in this life. So yes, as we considered in the poem this morning. Or in the harvest of food he brings. This life, the power of Hesed can come to us. The power of his kindness. But also, there is a greater pestilence and famine we face in death. And yet God has proven through our risen Lord and to Naomi that the true landowner of Bethlehem has beaten back the great enemy of death so that we, all the people who have at times been guilty of being the sinful Moabite or the hypocritical Bethlehemite, from time to time might find his raw and powerful kindness towards us when we least expect it, when life seems over, 
In such moments, we will find on the other side of that wall or barrier, we do not have the courage to pass the raw power of the empty tomb of our Lord and Savior. The, the fact that it is the promise that we will rise from the dead. The reality is this. Dead ends are only dead ends for those who do not know the one who defeated death and put it to end upon the cross, who do not know the sheer power of the Hesed love of God. Naomi and Ruth have now, our two heroines, begun to experience that Hesed love of God, and it changes everything. And so let us then, as people of God, have the courage to share it with one another. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you call us into a community. And in that community, we are to meet the needs and provide for one another in the family of God. But also, you bring others alongside of us when we sorrow and we struggle. Help us to be better servants in the field of harvest. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.